And that's how I came up with these eight factors. And they are not in any particular order. Uh, diet, exercise, we know those two. Let me stress, sleep, uh, historic infections, which are really important, things like glandular fever or COVID. Um, and then there's stress, sleep, your environment, genetics and sunlight, which is a sort of a euphemism for vitamin D. Welcome to Unquestionable with your hosts, Charles Perry Phillips and Sophie Green, where each week we dive into real and raw conversations with experts, creators, thought leaders and CEOs. With our guests, we'll be exploring some of the unquestionable truths behind psychology, mental health and relationships to gain a deeper understanding of human nature. So let's get into today's episode. Well, Dr. A and Panja, thank you so much for being with us today. Really appreciate your time. I um, want to talk me. about your book, The Health Fix. Um, I, I guess I wanted to start by asking you a bit about the books kind of made up into eight factors. And I wonder if you could sort of explain a bit about what you do to start with, who you are, what you do and what those eight factors are. Yeah, great question. Where do you start? Well, I'm, I'm a GP um, still in the NHS um, and I've been doctoring now for 25 years come the end of this year, so which has gone in a flash. So that's what I do day to day. And I guess the reason I wrote the book and how I came up with these eight factors was twofold, really. One was um, in my clinics over the years, I was seeing that a lot of what we did in the consulting room, we just didn't have a clue about. So meds in medicine, we're really good at cutting out disease and prescribing drugs, but a lot of it's quite nebulous. And you think, you know, don't know what it is, try this. And if it doesn't work, come back and we'll try something else. And I was quite frustrated with that model. But the main thing was really when I myself got quite ill um, in about 2014, and I had all these mystery symptoms, my memory was failing, I suddenly couldn't digest my food properly, I was fatigued, I was falling asleep in meetings at work. Um, and my whole sort of system just collapsed. And it took me about six months to work out why that was. And it wasn't because I needed any medication particularly. It was just lifestyle factors. Mm -hmm. And that led to me thinking about lots of things. And, and that's how I came up with these eight factors. And they are not in any particular order. Uh, diet, exercise, we know those two. Let me mm -hmm. stress, sleep, uh, historic infections, which are really important, things like glandular fever or COVID. Um, and then there's stress, sleep, your environment, genetics and sunlight, which is a sort of a euphemism for vitamin D. Is that eight of them? I think I've covered them all, yeah. Um, so, um, and, and actually, if you look at those things, and as I'm saying them, you think about your own life and how those factors kind of play into your typical day which is the the first question I ask when someone comes in and they're a bit broken you know and you get these consultations where someone comes in going I've been sent here by my wife and mm. you know I think I'm depressed I've got these terrible migraines I'm getting palpitations and I used to get really annoyed and I'd go wait a minute <laughs> I can only deal with one of those things but they're actually all interconnected and that's the thing when you get a symptom unless it's something like a broken you know limb or something which is obvious a symptom is a communication from your biological system. It means there's some sort of malfunction going on. And sometimes medication is absolutely appropriate. You know, if I sprain my ankle, I take an anti-inflammatory and it'll go down. But other times, when, when they happen in slow motion and they sort of suddenly manifest, I'm sure most people relate to this, you need a slightly different approach. And to lay out that story, those eight factors are pretty key. 
Mm, yeah I think there's probably a lot of people especially over the age of like 30 who can relate to that because I I've I realized after I turned 30 that's when like I start developing all these mystery symptoms <laughs> it's like oh my god every, everything I'm doing it's all down here are, from now <laughs> yeah it's all catching up on me and um, I think people in general tend to think that you know if you've got a problem with your stump if you've got stomach ache then it's related to your gut specifically and no other area in your body or you know it might not necessarily be anything to do with your exercise or your stress or um, do you know what I mean so yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's really key isn't it yeah com- completely and what what you're saying is exactly right in that and, and in the book I, I describe it as symptoms are linked to systems so if, for example if I give you a really silly example of say you stayed up all night revising for an exam and you had 10 cups of coffee and no sleep if you think of what's happening to your gut your brain you know your heart rate you know that is what kind of happens in slow motion when your systems start to malfunction over a period of time. I mean, that's a a very acute example. Um, And so you're quite right. You know, if you've got a gut symptom, you've got to think of all of those things. And and the starting point is your typical day. You know, what what does your day look like? And I often say to people now who come, you know, the, the guy that comes in with all those symptoms, instead of sort of getting irritated, I go, tell me about your typical day and then mm. just by them telling me their story lots of stuff jumps out and in in the book I've got loads of you know real world cases where you'll spot yourself when you read it you'll think wait a minute that sounds mm. like me you know because I've been there I know what it's like and so I've got kind of lived experience and I kind of do that in the consulting room. Mm. Would you say that your approach is a more holistic and b more preventative rather than reactive? Yeah, I, I think it's funny, isn't it? There are some words, the word holistic always kind of sort of triggers some people and they think, oh, does that mean he sort of like rubs crystals and yeah. all that stuff? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it, it, you know, I think proper holism, you know, for me is whole person care and looking at the whole picture. And I think I do try my best to do that. And the reason I wrote the book is I want people to be able to do that for themselves. If you lay out your story... You'll, you'll, it's like being a, a sort of detective in a way. You can you can pretty much find clues where you think, wait a second, you know. Mm. Um, and there are lots of other little tools in the book. But but again, as I say, the, the starting point is y- your typical day. And I think preventative definitely because again in the book you'll see that because you don't you don't wake up one day with a disease. It doesn't work like that. You don't wake up one day with celiac disease or multiple sclerosis or whatever it is and by by that I'm talking about non-communicable diseases not things that you catch from others because obviously Mm. you can can get a cold Mm. wake up with a cold one day because you caught it off someone but um and there's a process going on for months or years in your immune system and 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 actually a really key thing that that is really important to take stock of is your timeline so if you in the book again I plot out the timeline of one of the characters who's got a particularly colorful kind of life and when you when you and if you do this yourself you can do this on you know yourself it's you know you sort of put 1973 birth and then any major event in your life should be sort of a line off it and actually when you sit back and I sometimes do this with patients and they'll look at it and just burst into tears because it's so obvious how their health has got where it's got you know um so it's in a way it's it's devilishly simple but it's one of those things that you know wasn't out there as far as I could tell or if it was it was way too overcomplicated and made very esoteric with you know doctors love big words and their own language don't they and I I try not to do that you know there there is quite a lot of science in the book because I think 
some readers and, and on on a particular platform which which gives really harsh reviews i think so, <laughs> someone's put uh, oh just way too basic for me and i'm like what, what? Oh, you know yeah. in each chapter there is a bit of a deep dive if you want to know more about the science because i it's, it's very easy to just say drink more water because we all know that but you know actually a will it work for you can you drink more water? Have you got a job that means that you just never get to, to drink? Um, and B, understanding the two premises at the beginning of the book, which is yourself, your behaviours, that is, and your biology. And the first bit of the book is called The Foundations. And I really go through the basics of how to kind of, if you don't understand yourself, you'll never be able to change your behaviours and you'll never be able to get yourself better. Uh, there's no shame in that. You know, it's just mm. one of these things that I try and kind of unpack. So, mm. yeah. Yeah, an element of self-awareness, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And also, you know, um, tailoring it to you because, you know, you can <laughs> you can write out a lifestyle prescription for someone and say, right, you need to do X minutes of exercise a week and you need to stop eating this and stop drinking beer. But that's just not going to work unless you can change your behaviours. So one of the premises in the book that I talk about quite a lot is the, the monkey brain, you know, and I think most people have heard of this concept of the lizard brain, the monkey mm. brain and the human adult brain. And they're layered on top of each other. So the lizard brain is very basic and just sort of eats and sleeps. And the monkey brain is, you know, if you've ever seen monkeys, they're jealous and they're impulsive. And all of us get a bit like that. And if you drink too much alcohol or you haven't had enough sleep or you're in a bad mood your monkey brain will come to the fore and you normally see this in toddlers and teenagers mm. they have no you know teenagers particularly it's like what are you doing what were you thinking it's because they can't mm. think they don't have that yeah higher brain that self-regulation kind mm. of thing yeah and and so i spend a bit of time on that because i've struggled with it myself and and there are some hacks on how to kind of cheat that to you know almost You've got to imagine your sort of monkey kind of hijacking you and think, wait a second, you know, as you're walking to the cupboard where there's loads of chocolate, you've got to think, am I, you know, what am I doing here? Is this my monkey or is this me? You know, and I think that's one way of cheating your way into good behaviours. So, um, yeah, and I talk in the, in the book, actually, in my old practice down in Tottenham, um, which I still miss, actually. It was it was really interesting part of the world to work in. But a lot of the patients there would bring me biscuits and um, I still remember them, these sort of bread biscuits, these Greek bread biscuits. They're really the ones that sort of you dip in coffee and they kind mm. of half kind of crumble away. And I'd just stick them in my drawer and go, yeah, thanks very much. But then the, the day would be so busy, you'd go out on home visits and stuff and not get to eat lunch. And I'd get back and I'd just, I'd eat the whole lot by the end of the day. And I felt terrible. And, I'd, and I was putting on weight and getting sluggish. And I thought, I've got to stop this. What's the best way? And... In the book, I talk about something called the ideal framework. It's just an acronym. I, I for identify, D for define, E for engage, A for activate, and L for look back. It's very simple. Identify just means I know I've got to stop eating these biscuits. Mm. Define is like, well, how am I actually going to do it? Maybe I'll just stick them at reception or tell the patients to leave them there. Engage is sort of preparing your environment to, to really make sure that you're actually going to sort of take action so if it's something like taking up running you've got to leave your running kit by the door so that you, you there's no excuses and then activate is actually when you you start doing it and if you're building a new habit you tag it onto an existing one so that all the behavior experts tell you about this you know if you want to start doing press-ups do it straight after you brush your teeth because you're more likely to do it um and l is look back which is patting yourself on the back for doing that behavior it sounds really 
cheesy, but it's it, it comes from the same place as self compassion and and sort of rewarding yourself. I don't think people do that. We tend to mm. our self talk tends to be quite negative. And actually, what happened with me was I, I replaced that with fruit. And initially, what happens is when you change anything, if you get rid of something from your diet. It takes a while. You know, the reason a donut is so satisfying is it brings your blood sugar up really quickly and you get that blissy feeling, a bit like those biscuits. Yeah. Mm. And fruit still has sugar in it. It's got a lot of fructose in it, but it doesn't do it at quite the rate. So it wasn't quite as, you know, hitting the spot. But after about a week, I was feeling kind of lighter and brighter, thinking, wait a minute, I've done this. I'm not eating those biscuits. I'm mm. not actually missing them. And so you've got to just commit. And, you know, it, it's difficult. Some people find it really hard to stick to habits. And I've done it many times where I've made a change. And then after a month, it's fallen off the wagon. And I have to go back to that ideal framework, you know. Mm. So, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of like mastering yourself and then understanding the biology that's going on behind it. It sort of blends the two things. Mm. I was interested to hear what you were saying about like historical conditions. Like, for example, you said obviously COVID is obviously a more recent thing, but like things like glandular fever and stuff and the, the effects they have on us long term. I, I remember I've gone to the dentist before and they've said something about like um, um, the reason why have my teeth of the condition hours because of like historical damage that's been caused them through fluoride in the water or something like that you know and it, i was just yeah. thinking on the same point like these things we don't kind of tend to look back at our medical histories um and see those moments that may have like predestined our immunity or our, you know our systems a in some way absolutely yeah i mean it's it's such a such a great point that because and again by the time you finished my book you'll sort of you'll see lots of references to this, and particularly in the case studies. A, a, re a really common one I see every day is a child who's, and don't worry if this applies to you because it's all fixable, but, you know, a child <laughs> is born premature, not breastfed, thrown a bit of stress and other, other bits and bobs, and then comes to the doctor for lots of ear infections and tonsillitis and has loads of antibiotics. That child will often present with tummy ache because... Their, their gut flora are probably shot to pieces because they've had so many courses of antibiotics. Mm. And as doctors, we, we tend to work very, you know, in, in that world of ruling things out. It's like, well, it's nothing serious. You know, mm. it might be a bit of constipation. Just, you know, don't worry about it. But actually, you know, probably what's happening is that there's some degree of mild inflammation going on already. And depending on that child's journey there on, you know, from that point onwards... When, when they get to their teens, they often, you know, at secondary school diets change and they become very beige, not always, but in my experience, I've, I've seen that. And then suddenly you're not getting the nutrients and then mum and dad bring this child in who's tired all the time, starts feeling faint at school, suddenly they're low on iron and, you know, and, and you can see that that was always going to happen. But if you've got an even more traumatic story, it's even worse. And the link between trauma and ill health, we, we know... Um, you know, and, uh, you know, and so so that's something that I think, I think doctors have historically thought, well, what, what am I going to do about that? You know, I can't mm. fix it. You, you can. And, and, and there are lots of clinical approaches. I think firstly, as a, as a practitioner, you've got to be, you've got to, the patient's got to, re you know, understand that you really want to help them. You know, if you feel fobbed off and you're not listening, that's not going to help anyone, you know, because a lot of these people are already not in a great state when they come to see you. Um, and again, because medicine, you know, we're so 
it's such a kind of hamster wheel in terms of the workload. We often there isn't the time to do that. But and and I think this is one of the reasons I wrote the book because we I teach this to doctors on a course, but. Um, I think people ought to be able to do most of it themselves. Do you know what I mean? Not mm. dumbing down what mm. we do as doctors, but it's, you know, you, you can do a lot of it yourself, you know, and then mm. if you need extra help, you go and see someone. Yeah. Well, nobody knows your body better than you do. And I, I've had plenty of people, myself included, but friends who have had issues and because the symptoms are quite vague or it doesn't really make sense scientifically, the doctor has kind of told them it's probably just stress or anxiety or, or, or it's psychosomatic. But then in your head, you're like, but it doesn't feel like that. I kind of know my body. I kind of know something's wrong. And to be honest with you, that person you were just describing was me <laughs> like, the- as a child. It was like every step of the way. It was like, as a child, I always had tummy aches. I was always told it was, uh, I was just an anxious child or something. Um, and then again, as a teen, you know, anemic, anemic and tired and stuff. And yeah, it was only as an adult and, and an- anxious too. And then as an adult, I had like gut tests and blood tests and went down this whole journey of, you know, medical discovery and realized, you know, my microbiome is all over the place and, and all these other things. And then when you start to adjust your lifestyle, as you say, mm. it fixes all these other things that you thought, well, I thought was, you know, a physical ailment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and there's a, there's a great concept in the book that I call the drawstring effect. So the drawstring effect is where you don't have to do everything. You just do one thing. And suddenly other things start to magically get better, you know. So mm. if you, for example, if you address your sleep, your digestion will probably improve. Or, for example, if you eat dinner slightly earlier than eating just before bedtime, as one of my patients was doing recently, you'll sleep better. You know, it's all interconnected. And the analogy I use in the book is is a house, you know. And if you've got like a leak in your bathroom upstairs and you see a brown stain in your living room, you can either sort of paint over it but if you, which is not a good idea, but if you, if you leave it, what will happen is that that leak will suddenly sort of affect all the other systems in your house, just like we have different biological systems. It will get into your electrics and suddenly you've got a, a mould problem or rot, you know, and suddenly the foundations, get, you know, and mm. the body's exactly the same. It's exactly the same. And so, you know, it's just getting that concept. I think also, you know, I'll get shot down for this. I think, you know, I, I think a lot of lay people understand this better than doctors do because we're so sort of into the science and looking at one thing that we kind of forget the big picture sometimes and um, and, and we're, we tend to be trained in that pharmaceutical model of, you know, what's, oh, this is the symptom, what's the treatment? But there's a whole f- massive thing in between, you know, where there's a whole process isn't there so um yeah yeah interesting so yeah didn't realize you had the same sort of uh, yeah story so this is why it's so fascinating to me it's just I've been on a real kick lately trying to unpack all of this stuff and like realizing oh, actually having an awful diet all through childhood has actually impacted my health as an adult um, yeah. and stuff like that but yeah I'm interested to know as well why so you say through the health fix that you can fix this stuff in eight weeks that's mm-hmm. a very specific number yeah yeah <laughs> is there a yeah. reason for that or? yeah <laughs> I was, what, do you want the honest answer yeah, or do you want, uh, so, <laughs> so the, the truth is um most people feel better in four um or six actually and i normally follow people up after six weeks and actually if they don't feel better i'll come on to that as as well but mm. um most of them w- will will feel better uh, in and and 
some very kind of some some of my medical colleagues get a bit annoyed going well how are you measuring that you know and I'm like because it's not you know it's not like well where's the outcome measure for that and what are the sort of you know and there are questionnaires that you can use but the, the proof is in the pudding it's like if you've got terrible gut symptoms and they've gone away then you're feeling better aren't you um I think I picked eight weeks because I definitely know by eight weeks they will absolutely be feeling better because most get better by six and usually by four it takes a week or two to get going with stuff you know so I allow for that which is why I do six weeks normally and I think eight weeks just it sort of matches the cover of the book you know that that there's eight (laughs) factors and that kind of infinity sign so eight weeks just landed well really so you know by then if if it hasn't worked by eight weeks then there's something else going Mm. on like you know some sort of inflammatory process or something else you know like Lyme disease for example which doesn't get diagnosed Mm. you know a lot of the time something else is happening because if it's not working then you need to kind of have a rethink or go and go and seek help sort of thing yeah Mm. well I just think it's remarkable actually the human body that within even eight weeks you could Mm. You know, you could be turning around some quite significant ailments. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. And it's it's more, it's more, it's weird because that model of like naming a disease, you know, which is what we do in medicine. It's like you give something a label, don't you? Like irritable bowel syndrome or, um, you know, fibromyalgia is another one, which is very nebulous. There's no test for it. There's mm. no, you know, it's it's a cluster of symptoms and, you know, a collection of things, but but biologically fascinating because most people with it, you know, tend to have poor mitochondrial function, which is your energy stores effectively in your cells. Mm. Um and and other 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 things that, that are, they have in common, but they also have a lot of trauma in early life, you know. So so that should be a clue as to the fact that that leads to this you know um but you're right I mean I'll tell you this is again a true story someone who used to be a patient of mine who's moved away sent me a message about must be a couple of years ago now but moved to another part of the country and um had all sorts of evolving autoimmune symptoms so joint pains racing heart um feeling wired and tired as I call it you know sort of exhausted but can't sleep you know that type of thing and I had, we together, we'd sort of really gone through these eight factors and tr- done our best to sort of tighten them up. And she was about 60% better going, and she'd been to see a heart specialist, couldn't find anything, offered a medication to slow her heart rate down. And, you know, she was on a load of supplements and things. And it, it, she was sort of better. But in this message, it said, actually, I moved away. And actually, I just wanted to say thank you for you know, your help, but now I'm completely better because actually what I didn't realise was that I was in a toxic relationship and mm-hmm. and I'd, I'd, hadn't, I'd sort of asked about her partner but hadn't really, really, what I call in the book, drill down and diary up. You know, if there's something where you think, hang on, I'm not get- getting anywhere, then you have to get the drill out and kind of like dig a bit yeah, deeper. Yeah. Um, and I felt a bit <laughs> of a fool thinking, oh my God, you know, it was, you know, I just, you know, as in, been wasting her time and mine like looking at all the it wasn't really a waste of time mm. but it wasn't quite the the thing and and I think that thing that you were saying about you know mm. earlier on about I was saying about behaviors and you were saying about self-awareness those things pop out when you sometimes when you draw out your timeline because it may not be because you've got a toxic partner but some sort of pattern will will and she'd sort of met the love of her life and now everything was fine you know mm. so there's 
health and you know well-being whatever you want to call it disease symptoms all of these things there are so many variables it's not it's not just as simple as paying a load of money and going to the best private hospital to see a heart specialist because you know that that's absolutely right for some people depending on what they present with but if you've got nebulous symptoms and you're not feeling well this sort of approach works better um yeah so I sort of feel like I'm talking a lot. No, no, that's, it's that's really purpose. Yeah, yeah, no, we want to hear from you. I mean, yeah. that is fascinating. The the idea of past traumas affecting us physically, because we sort yeah. of think about it being from a mental health point of view. And obviously, yeah. like when our mental health's affected, we, it does affect us physically. But to think that like maybe stuff that you haven't addressed from yeah. an early life then will kind of manifest itself as a physical ailment yeah. or a physical problem is 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 fascinating can you talk a bit about that yeah i mean i'm I'm no expert on that i see it a lot because of my work and i recognize it and there are other internationally acclaimed experts who've written amazing books on this you know like the body keeps the score is Mm, one and gabor Marte's work is is really seminal i think um so i'm a sort of follower if you like of, of of those kind of yeah, whatever you want to call them, but they're, they're gurus, really. Um, I, I'm at the coalface, and I want to be able to use that to my advantage to help the person in front of me. You know, that's the business I'm in. Mm-hmm. And um, re- really, the, 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 the answer as a practitioner is being compassionate and taking them seriously. You know, just listening is healing in itself, you know. And, and it sounds a bit, again, it sounds very woolly. But people will go, God, I feel so much better, you know. And actually, the, you know, there's this thing called the doctor as a drug, uh, which is written by uh, sort of a concept by Michael Balint from the 60s, a, a psychologist, um, a psychotherapist. And, and, and actually, sometimes you'll go on a home visit and do nothing, but the patient gets better, you know. And there is this sort of therapeutic relationship sort of stuff that goes on, which which mm-hmm. isn't, is difficult to measure. Um, but the physical, physical ailments coming from you know from grief or from you know any kind of trauma it doesn't you know at the moment I'm watching I don't know whether it's appropriate to mention but I'm watching that Jimmy Savile dramatization Mm. and it's really hard uh watch um but you can see how broken those people are like years on it stayed with them and and that just needs that needs acknowledging and you know, in a way, I, I'm not even sure I've got the minerals or the training to deal with it, but I'm, I'm aware of it. You know, which means that I'm, I'm ready to sort of try and tackle it. And 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 again, that those things lead to maladaptive behaviours. Often, that group of people find it really hard to change their behaviours. They have a lot of feelings of guilt and shame, and oh, I'm not good enough. I'm a failure. You know, so they need someone to kind of work with them. We're really lucky in the NHS now. We've got health coaches who are part of this other cast of practitioners and characters that work with GPs they're amazing they they really they're experts in behavior change but they they stick with someone you know to get them from zero to one whereas a doctor doesn't really have that time you know or it's not in our remit in a way we we kind of think well medicine bit's done now you know i think you need to go and see someone else you know is the sort of the thought in the back of your head sort of thing you know sometimes but what sort of patients would you normally refer to one of these health coaches to a health coach anyone who who's slightly stuck in their health journey so where 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 the doctor has sort of ruled out serious stuff has maybe set a lifestyle prescription 
and by that this is what the outcome of you know in the in the book is so you you, you lay out the eight factors you match it with your typical day and your past medical history you then apply what i call how what and when really important so it's not just about eat more healthily it's how you eat what you eat when you eat you know and i talk about a guy in the book who just eats all his meals standing up and unsurprisingly he's got digestive issues you know but we don't ask about this doctors don't ask about those things Mm. often um but you all know yourself how you eat and what you eat and when you eat and the same with your sleep and whatever coach yeah Yeah, like just for the listeners who are thinking oh maybe i could do with one of them is it something that you can ask for or is it a very specific type of person yeah so firstly i think a lot of people don't know that health coaches exist Mm. and and Every practice in the land has access to them, but that doesn't mean every practice has them. So we've invested in them. And it's it's really for if you need help and support in changing your behaviour. So a health coach isn't necessarily an expert in one thing. So they're not an expert on diet or exercise or, or you know, necessarily any of those things. But what they are good at is coaching. They're essentially a coach but with a slant towards your health. So they'll, he- they'll help you get to your goals. It's like, well, okay, well, where do you think your health is at? And you might say, look, you know, I've, I've been told by lots of doctors I'm, I'm overweight, it's affecting my health, I've got high blood pressure now, I'm, I'm pre-diabetic, you know, um, I just need some help because I just can't seem to change my diet. So they'll, they'll sit with them and work through meal plans going, okay, well, what do you think you could change? What do you eat for breakfast? And what that type of thing, you know, it's very... I say basic, but it's so important. You know, mm. that's the bit that people are missing these days because everyone, I think a lot of people, I'm really jealous of those people that can just do it. You know, that's that's rare, actually. It's not not the norm, you know. And you, in that world of podcasts and well-being, it, it's, you, you can go to the nth level. It's like, oh, you know, apparently kale's covered in thallium and thallium's really, you know, all that <laughs> stuff. That's That's not zero to one. That is like, nine to ten mm. stuff that most people don't care about you know if you've got enough kale to eat then you're doing well yeah, you know yeah. these days so it's um yeah so it's not i, I would say it's not about kale and, <laughs> and, and extreme yoga it's, it can it's, be quite it's, disheartening i think for people that are like at the other end of the scale i've seen like influencers yeah. and stuff that are like every morning i wake up and i make my own matcha tea and i do this and i'm yeah. like god if i wake up before 10 and like super, like scramble out of bed and try and eat something that's a good thing do you know what I mean like, yeah it makes you feel like yeah I, I know I know exactly what you mean and I I, I don't want to malign anyone because I, I I know a lot of these people and they're good people they sort of mean really well but yeah. and then maybe it's the world I'm in because I'm in the I say the real world but I'm seeing real people day in day out with you know whereas that world of slightly curated world of Instagram or whatever it is you know I'm I'm on Instagram but not not enough i'm told by my by my mates but but it's you know yeah i agree i think it's you know you've got to just pick what's right for you and start where you start for you and that's why you've got to start with your own typical day you know so if you're if you're on four cups of tea with four sugars you know before 10 o'clock then you'll you if you don't know that that's probably not a great thing for you and then by the end of the book, you think, wait a minute, that might be something that's not. I mean, I always tell this, there are some mystery things that come up as well. I, I often tell this story and I'm going to tell you again why the typical day is important. So about 20 years ago, um, in my first job as a GP, I remember seeing this chap who had really bad headaches. He'd had loads of appointments with the neurologist, had scans, everything was normal. He was on quite hardcore medication for 
treating migraines, which are normally used for epilepsy. None of it was working. And I remember he was he was really, really well built, you know, like a sort of a, you know, one of those sort of bodybuilder type bodies. And I, I, I just, he was getting married and he was going, look, I can't work anymore. And I just don't know what I'm going to do. And I'm like... I just, and I hadn't got into this model of thinking yet. I was I was still compassionate, but still in that sort of world of conventional. Well, what can we try? There's nothing wrong with that. But and he goes, he goes, no. I go, he's still obviously going to the gym, and he goes, no, no, this isn't the gym. This is like six cans of tuna a day. And I go, sorry, what? it was like a record scratch moment. I go, sorry. And in my head, I was thinking. Do I know anyone who eats six cans? <laughs> and I was thinking, cats. I go, I, yeah, 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 cats, yeah. And I just go, I, Turns I just out went, he's turning into a cat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. coming out. I, was, I just went, um, do you mind just swapping it for the chicken? You know, is it just for protein? <laughs> Headache's gone in a few weeks. You know, wow. And, and, I, and, I, and I don't know whether it, what it was. It could have been the mercury in yeah. the tuna. It could have yeah, been yeah. the BPA in the can. He might have had some funny allergy to see I don't care the point was just by asking that it it came out and so that's part of the method you've got you've got to kind of analyze what you're doing um I'm sure most of you found these things you know you find them by I call them happy accidents in in the book in terms of why people change their behaviors one category is that you know you sort of forget to drink coffee one morning and think wait a minute I'm not not tired and I, mm. I'm not irritable. What's going on? Yeah, Maybe yeah. I'll just not drink yeah. it tomorrow. And it just, you know, so. Um, Such a good point. Such a good yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder yeah. as well. I mean, I know you, you, you've briefly mentioned it a couple of times in the book, but in general, mm. this subject is going to be completely irrelevant. But as a doctor, I'd mm. love for you to talk about your opinions on antibiotics and people's mm. um, kind of reliance on medicine and particularly antibiotics. Cause I know it has such a huge effect on your microbiome and your gut and, st- and stuff like that. And I think we've just, personally, I just think we use antibiotics way too much. I know people that the minute they get a cold or a virus, they're like, oh, I have to go get some antibiotics. <laughs> yeah. Like, not really going to do anything though is it yeah yeah it's a great point um the, 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 there's two two arms to that one is that the way medicine and healthcare is going and the way litigation is going doctors are really afraid of you know being sued basically so if you you know someone's on the phone and they're shouting at you and they're going you know i you know i always my old doctor used to always give me antibiotics mm. you know and i'm you know if i die then you're gonna you know you, you get yeah. some of that and so if, there is sort of this defensive prescribing. We think, well, okay, I'll just do them just in case, but you know they're going to take them. Um, that's that side of it. And then on on this side is this sort of how they're regulated. So in the UK, we're very lucky. We're really aware of being antibiotic guardians and, and responsible prescribing. And every GP surgery actually gets, in, in, in this world of prescribing measures, gets scored on how, how much we prescribe those you know, agents, you know, antibiotics. Um, but when it comes to the rest of the world, you know, I went to Thailand over summer, there, was just, there were packets of antibiotics for sale wow. behind, just at a pharmacy. And I go, sorry, that, can you just buy those? And the lady goes, yeah. And I go, right, what, just, do, do you ask the people why they need them? They go, no, you can just buy them. Wow. And they had like more than one or two types, like several types. And so um, it's, it's a massive problem. And those sorts of, apocalyptic dystopian things that you see on netflix you know which we're all addicted to um where the world's ending because actually no antibiotics going to work is probably not a million 
miles away. You know, we're not, oh, really? we're not. Yeah, because because more and more resistance, you know, that's the problem. You know, partly it's the effect it has on you as, a, as an individual. You know, you're mm. quite right. It suppresses your immune system. It, it leads to increased intestinal permeability. And, you know, it means that your the food for your immune system, which is your good gut, gut bugs, are being destroyed every time you have them. Some mm. It depends a lot on other factors. Some people recover that very quickly others won't you know and you can support it with probiotics and prebiotic foods but um but yeah globally the bigger picture is horrific because mm. a lot of countries don't care you know you can e- even in, in european countries it's they're much more readily available um because that has been the culture and, and it's very culture specific as well there are certain nationalities of of patients that are very antibiotic dependent because they've been brought up to sort of see this doctor who they th- their family think is some sort of sage and they were yeah. doctor x used to always give me this you know that's what i need mm. and it got me better and and so it's a it's very complicated yeah. but but ge- generally the rule of thumb is you know you only take them when you really need them so the last time i had one was I hadn't had any for about 20 years. And then I got something called a Quincy. It's like this horrible type of tonsillitis on mm. one side. And it was, it was terrible, you know, and I'd, I'd gone as, as long as I could. And it's quite, it's a really sort of dangerous thing to leave. And I had to take a course, but you know, sometimes that's going to happen. Yeah, so, you know, exactly. Um, but that's the point, isn't it? You're, you're using it when you need it. And I think there's definitely an argument I mean, I'm obviously no doctor, but it seems like there's an argument that people are taking antibiotics when they don't really need them. Like, like for just generic tonsillitis. Mm. I knew a girl that used she used to get tonsillitis. Literally, at one point, it was like every few months it would come back. She'd yeah. just go immediately straight to the doctor get antibiotics. And I used to get tonsillitis maybe like once a year. I never once had antibiotics for it. My body learned to fight it off, and I've never had it since. And it's yeah. kind of like, you know, I think yeah. it in some ways it affects your body because it makes you less able to fight stuff off yourself. But Mm. then is, is the argument that the bacteria itself is becoming antibiotic resistant? Is that? Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Bugs mutate and transform, whether it's a bacteria or a virus, you know, like COVID, that's why you get new Mm. strains. So, um, that, that's exactly it. So strep throat, which is the thing that streptococcus, which is what causes a lot of bacterial tonsillitis, eventually there'll be strains that don't respond to, to penicillin and don't respond to clarithromycin. And that, that's the fear. Mm. Um, what you said about the recurrent tonsillitis, the other thing, and again, applying this method. So one of the cases in the book is, why do I get ill all the time? But again, if you lay out that story, so a lot of my patients are often deficient in vitamin D, you know, that, that mm. it's in their boots. And once that is corrected they stop getting ill so much or again in their story like the tuna guy you know they um they're drinking like four or five pints of milk a day and i'm like wait a minute you know that's quite anything that's sort of excessive Mm. is probably not going to be great and Mm. another little rule in the book is you know too much or too little of something Mm. it's a really powerful tool this so if you sort of remove something that is bad in your routine or i say bad but you've identified it thinking do you know what I think I actually sort of sit on the sofa for too long um and then you remove that and then you add something in at the other end it doesn't have to be related to that like or actually my vitamin d is low I'll take some vitamin d the kind of double effect of those two things gives you even more sort of purchase you know and things like recurrent tonsillitis is often like that Mm. um it, it 
takes a bit, it, you know, because even the most patient person will come in and ask the doctor, well, why do I keep getting it? Um, and often, I don't know, I've got two of my best friends, uh, head and neck, you know, ENT, ENT surgeons, they may disagree, but, you know, some, and they will probably know more hard papers and science on this. And they'll go, well, some people just have a propensity to it because of, mm. I don't know, their anatomy or whatever it is. Um, but these other factors are also important, you know. One of the ones I've started asking more about for my asthmatic patients is whether they've got any mould in their house. We just mm. don't ask about it. But off, it's amazing how often they go, oh, yeah, the bathroom's got like loads of black mould. I'm like, why didn't you yeah. tell me before? You know, that's why yeah. your asthma's got worse, you know, and they just haven't thought it through, mm. you know, and it's stuff like that where that's the environment bit, you see. Mm. You've got to kind of think just just think you know that's the thing yeah, yeah, yeah. so important because mm. you know what i'm just thinking that like, so many people are listening they're probably listening that have so many little niggly symptoms that they haven't gone to the doctor for or mm. you know they have but there hasn't cu- come anything of that sort of little micro health issues i guess yeah i think everyone <laughs> has them especially <laughs> over the age of 30 you know when your body starts to actually you know mm. show you <laughs> what's yeah. going on and i think yeah, I think there's something to be said about actually looking at the big picture. I, I think also that the going further than that, if you've got, have you both got friends who are doctors? Um, like sort of a mate I who's... I don't think I do, actually. Or a medical... Yeah, sort of yeah, yeah. Or, or a nurse. Or a, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so often when if you're telling them about these kind of micro symptoms, they'll go, oh, it doesn't sound like anything serious. Uh, you know, and, which is, yeah. I get that, because that is such a sort of medic-y thing to say, because it's like, well, you're not going to die because mm. you've got that. But one of the other things is that, going back to this idea of a symptom being an early warning sort of light, if you like, is if you if you leave a symptom and it's not been investigated and you and you leave it sort of unchecked you know a bit like the brown stain in the ceiling Mm. actually chronic inflammation and chronic immune dysfunction does lead to long-term disease this is the i think this is one of the real key bits in the book and also when when we teach it on the course that doctors are sort of sitting there thinking what and i never realized that you know and any any condition you know um that's non-communicable has three components to it it has inflammation oxidative stress which is basically reactive oxygen species like like rust on iron basically Mm. and immune dysfunction so whether it's type 2 diabetes multiple sclerosis you know any 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 disease has those Mm. three features and why this is important is you know we we used to get specialists come in and talk to us and a rheumatologist a joint specialist would have a slide up about this new drug for osteoporosis and the slide would have all these inflammatory markers and stuff. And the next week, there'd be a, a gynecologist talking about the mechanism behind, you know, something that going wrong in early pregnancy. And it's the same slide, you know, mm. and it's the, the mechanisms are the same. Um, and what I'm trying to do is go completely upstream and think, right, how does, you know, how do your genes and how does your do your habits and behaviours stop this from happening it's Mm. a it's a really sort of far stretch of the imagination particularly to laboratory scientists and you know a lot of very specialist doctors that they're not in that world and I don't blame them they get sort of some some people get quite irritated by this whole lifestyle medicine thing because you know when you're in A&E and someone's having a stroke the last thing you want to think about is this but actually 
you don't want to be the guy in you know, A&E having the stroke, you need to kind of do this. And I think mm. that's that's why it's such a hard sell sometimes. You get a lot of naysayers that think, mm. you know, but I've, I've been there. I've been that person with the dysfunction and I managed to fix it. So now I want everyone to kind of know how to, mm. you know, do that for well, themselves. But it's a lot more long term, isn't it? When If you're in A&E, yeah. you don't necessarily, you're not going to sit down with someone having a heart attack and go, so... Like, what time do you wake up? Yeah. How many cans of tuna do you get? But I was going to say, so you've got the, the mm. immune system mm. sort of like dysfunction yeah. Yeah. and you've got the mm. inflammation. And in terms of like the oxidization, yeah. you say, yeah. what is that and how can you prevent that? So actually to, to, to explain um, oxidative stress, if you start with antioxidants so some foods are very rich in antioxidants which mm. a lot of people have heard of so like they blueberries like yeah blue <laughs> it's a really good example blueberries are very rich in antioxidants so someone with a an antioxidant rich diet not necessarily supplements because there's not much evidence for the supplements in this world but they tend to have better gut microbes they tend to have lower rates of non-communicable disease you know mm. so antioxidants support things like blood vessels around your heart you know and they stop would you know kind of in theory stop them clogging up and forming atheroma and that process of the atheroma building up or you know the gut dysfunction is oxidative stress it's sort of what antioxidants prevent and that's that's why i sort of call it i, I liken it to rust um on i you know an eye and it's sort of like sort of a literally an oxidizing process in terms of what's happening chemically and those kind of reactive oxygen species are really bad news for us and antioxidants basically essentially mop them up which is why antioxidants are really important so Mm. you know and again depending on your your own habits for me how it works for me is I have the way my work day works is I get my fix of those um at about 10 o'clock which is when I sort of the first time I eat but that's just for me because that suits me and my routine Mm. but I have to have a ton of that kind of stuff in my diet and and again you know I I know I sort of need antioxidants sounds so ridiculous because I feel really terrible if I don't have them for for a few weeks if I go on holiday or something I really get tired and sort of well I think most people do but they probably wouldn't equate it to that because we've all had periods like over Christmas or on holiday where you eat shit and then you come home and you're like oh i really i just my body's craving vegetables or yeah. fruit do you yeah. know yeah. what i mean need some blueberries and tuna right yeah now. I don't, for some reason <laughs> i'm craving blueberries and tuna and and yeah and most yeah. people would just think oh i've just eaten too much cheese and bread while yeah. i've been in yeah. you know in france Provence, or something yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but actually yeah you you're as a doctor and therefore more of a scientific mm. mind you would you're, you're thinking I need more antioxidants yeah I mean I mean and it's I don't actively think that because it's now become sort of habit you know mm. and and that thing about controlling your environment which is the, the engaged part of my ideal framework where you know if there's something like a big bar of chocolate in the house it's gonna be gone yeah. and so but if all there is is blueberries it's like mm, okay I'll just eat them you know it's, it's sort of you know and so mm. you have to kind of manipulate your own and know you've got to know your future trust you know how much you can trust your future self you know yeah. and it's the same with with any habits isn't it if you're planning on a month of not drinking alcohol you've just got to not have any in the house because yeah. it yeah it's just yeah, yeah so controlling that monkey brain isn't it yeah i yeah. started doing <laughs> yeah. that with my whenever i paint because in my day job i'm an artist and then i yeah. sit and, and then like next to the easel i have to put okay. 
<laughs> no, I wish. Mm-hmm. Next to these, I have to have either a punnet of grapes or blueberry, like something picky, because I'm not going to sit and eat a meal while I'm painting. It's just not practical. But otherwise, I will go. I'll literally go out of my way to go to the shop to get chocolate because I'm, mm. I haven't got anything. I need to go get chocolate. Yeah, <laughs> just, yeah. Very decadent eating like grapes while you're painting. Yeah, like, a, I'm like, <laughs> yeah. A, like a Renaissance yeah. painter. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> Gets me in the mood, you know. <laughs> but yeah, it's like you do. I'm a bad habit keeper, to be fair. Mm. Not yeah. But I guess that's a lot about what your book is about. It's about behavioural change, isn't it it? it? it is, yeah. And and it's, you know, it's, it's marrying your behaviours to what you kind of know you, you might need to do, but then tailoring it to yourself using those tools. You know, it's called the health loop, that eight factors. You know, it's a loop of factors which you lay out. You kind of apply how, what and when. And that spits out a lifestyle prescription, which is completely tailored to you because it's no one else that, you know, it's one of these weird things. It's a generic thing that you plug your habits and your your data into and it spits out something just for you. It spits Mm. out something bespoke, which is really odd. And then, and that lifestyle prescription is is your sort of template for what you need to do. And then you sort of reassess it in six weeks. The great thing is you can just repeat it as often as you want. And you should, in theory, feel better and better and better if you want to. But, you know, it's, um, yeah. Um, but, that, but that, yeah, the, the, the kind of keys are behaviour change, really. And I think we've all done this. You know, I, I, in the beginning of the book, I talk about real life ch- reasons why people change their behaviours. Because... Well, again, all that expert stuff and theory for me doesn't really land, and I want—I do worry that people glaze over when you sort of start talking about theories. But real-world reasons for changing behaviours: happy accidents we've talked about already. One's called under orders, which is where you're on a flight and you can't smoke, and even if you're a smoker, you wouldn't really think of having a fag because someone else has basically put a restriction on you. The other one is what I call the unthinkable when some, some sort of tragedy happens, you know, like your best mate, you know, dies of a heart attack. And you think, right, that's it. I'm yeah. changing my behaviours from today. Um, no one wants that one, obviously. The other one I call community spirit, which is where you do things in groups. Something magical happens sometimes in groups that you doesn't happen on your own. So park runs a really good example of that. Weight watchers, you know, those sort of things where actually that you're doing it for the group and so the it's the accountability as well isn't there i think you've got someone checking on you maybe yeah. like you can check in with someone as well can't you yeah yeah it's that peer support mm. isn't there um and then the other one i call friendly jealousy which is what made me think of this is where you you sort of see someone you haven't seen in years or like a, an old schoolmate and you think Oh my God, you look amazing. What, what's going You know, and they've completely yeah. transformed the life. You don't look you the think, same age as me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you think, right, that's it. You know, and that, mm. that sort of triggers you. And the last one is um, called grasping the nettle, which is just sheer willpower. But that just, for, for me and most people I know, doesn't work. Some people can do it. You know, it's that old school, you know, like, right, that's it. I'm never smoking again. Mm. And they just don't. Yeah, you think, yeah. what? How do you do that? You know, but yeah. that, they're cut from different cloth you know well you've of... almost got to be like in a co- in competition with yourself because that's the only time I've ever managed to do that is when I've got something internal going on where I'm like right I can do th- I, I'll yeah, show yeah. me <laughs> yeah 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 that's yeah. true yeah that's, yeah so there's different motivations and I guess everyone's different um and I think to be honest this is why your book is so important because 
everyone is so different and I keep thinking like over and over again throughout this conversation I've been thinking like whenever you get a symptom and you go and google it which everyone does yeah. whether they like to admit it or not Damn we it. all Dr. google it google. Yeah. Of course. yeah yeah and it's like oh my god I've got cholera <laughs> even yeah, though yeah. you live in the UK and you definitely don't have cholera but it generalizes based on the science and the facts but it doesn't take into account your lifestyle and your age and your, you know, your friend, friend, like, you know, like loneliness, I imagine is a huge one. Oh yeah, huge. And there's, again, one of the cases in the book really highlights that. And you can, I mean, it, it, it sounds so extreme, but you can die of loneliness. Mm. Absolutely. You know, and one of the things at the moment, there's a, a series on Blue Zones on, on Netflix and, you know, Dan Buechner's work's amazing and been you know he's been doing it for 20 30 years but um and I, I remember when I first heard of this maybe just over 20 years ago I bought lots of books on it like on the there's a book on the Okinawa diet and and back then I used to think oh yeah what, what is it in their diet you know is it the purple broccoli or oh they've got quite a lot of pork in there that's mm. interesting and is it the alcohol mm, no it's 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 actually the one thing that re there are lots of commonalities, but they have amazing proper communities, and that's one of the things that, sadly, in the modern world is is missing. There, there are lots of, I don't know, I, I I I do mission a bit about this, and maybe I'm looking for something that doesn't exist because it didn't, it probably didn't really exist even when I was growing up. But certainly, my parents had really tight friends they were sort of spread across the land as you know they weren't sort of local to us necessarily but that is is something that you know just just that I mean I, what made me think of it recently I was thinking about when I used to work at Stoke Mandeville Hospital years ago because of the Jimmy Savile thing and I was looking at the shots thinking I think that actually is Stoke Mandeville on on TV they've obviously gone and filmed there mm. and um and there was an old lady on the ward who um I can't remember why she was admitted, but every day during visiting hours, three of her best friends would come and visit her. They were almost like, they looked like sisters. They were so sort of similar. And, you know, she just got better very quickly and nothing went wrong with her discharge. And she, you know, because she had that sort of support. Um, whereas a lot of other people, uh, you know, they, they, I'm not saying that people do this, but, you know, they'd feign symptoms so that they didn't get discharged because actually mm -hmm. when they left hospital, they'd be back in this world of solitude. And, you know, I mean, it's sort of, yeah. So I, I think those things are so important. And I, and I don't yeah. know what we can do. We now have social prescribers as well. So our mm -hmm. social prescriber in our practice is amazing and does a lot of case finding, you know, um, and holds a lot of people and supports them. But I don't know what the answer is, you know, because a lot of people don't like groups. You know, I'm quite, I don't know whether I would like to, you know, when people go, oh, come along, you know, there's a meeting at this place. I'd be like, oh, you yeah. know, do I really want to, but you've mm -hmm. got to make strangers. the effort. Yeah, yeah, it's sort of, yeah, it's it, you've got to have something in common, haven't you? Mm. Um, but even just, yeah. the, just acknowledging the importance of community and knowing how important it is, I think you can then start to sort of build communities where people you actually do want to hang out with and your friend, your actual friends and family and stuff rather than yeah. forcing, because it feels a little bit forced, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, true. Let's uh, all be lonely uh, together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's how you, and that's exactly right. That's the con kind of conversation you have with, say, an older person. And, you know, most localities, whether it's in Sussex or Hertfordshire or wherever, you know, they have these lunch clubs and things like that. Mm. But it, it takes it's like going to a new school you know if you put yourself in that person's shoes you know they might be widowed or whatever you know they're and they're they're in in the, the latter part of their life suddenly having to kind of 
make new friends and it's mm. it's difficult isn't it so there's no yeah. easy answer to that one but it's not a good idea for another book though not me the social aspect of it i mean if you look at animals like you know like pack animals especially if you've ever if anyone's ever had two dogs and one of them suddenly passed away you see the physical oh, yeah. deterioration in the other remaining animal is crazy isn't it and and same with like humans with widows that suddenly get really ill and just go downhill very quickly yeah. after their partners absolutely died yeah. so yeah nice yeah. depressing uh, <laughs> a great, yeah. yeah great way to end the podcast um, so, thanks for coming on yeah. or whatever. <laughs> so just just to finish yeah. then, so what, what would you say is a good sort of maybe first couple of steps that someone could take who wants to kind of start to change their lifestyle or, or yeah, discover I, a bit more about themselves, I guess, to, to make yeah. some, some drastic changes. Um, I, I would say, you know, apart from buying the book, obviously, but I would say try and understand yourself. You know, that is the starting point. And in order to do that, it sounds so obvious, but unless you sort of, and, and the, the people that know you best are often your friends and, you know, family, because they'll, they'll point things out about you where, you know, my, my dad used to say years ago, it's like, oh, I know you better than you know yourself. And what he meant was he knew my habits better than I knew my habits because he could mm. see that I couldn't get up in the mornings and I could, you know, whatever it was. Mm. And so once you've mapped that out, then you know what work you've got to do to kind of get going and use those frameworks like the ideal framework so it's it's really understanding yourself and starting with just literally one thing pick one thing that you want to improve don't sort of map everything out thinking right i've got i've got to like eat more vegetables i've got to run more i've got to take get my steps in you know just start with one and you'll notice lots of things start to get better you know for example if you take up exercising that affects what kind of foods you crave so suddenly you'll be wanting to eat healthier things potentially rather than do you know what I mean and yeah. you know so there's lo loads of studies out there I don't want to mention studies because they're, they're quite dull and I tend to on my podcast I tend to put references to them because you can click on those and find them anywhere but because I want to sort of keep it real for the person mm. so just starting with one thing and, and understanding yourself that is the starting point and the rest will sort of and and, and remembering that that thing about how a symptom is a communication it's sort of telling you that you need to sort of do something, you know, whether it's your eyesight getting worse or which it does anyways, you get older, but if it suddenly gets worse, maybe you should, you know, that kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Listening to your, your body and kind of, um, yeah, laying out your story. Yeah, I love yeah. that idea of a symptom being your body kind of like whispering to you. Because I think when most people get a symptom, it's like, why? <laughs> why, God, yeah, why? Yeah. <laughs> You're punishing me. But yeah, yeah. Um, also, what your podcast for people that want to listen to? Because mm -hmm. I'm sure people want to hear more from you, and your you know your episodes are quite short. Where can people find your podcast? Where can people buy your book, The Health Fix? Yeah, sure. So The Health Fix is online and in bookshops. It's so easy to find, and I, on my link tree, you'll see links to to that. And also on the link tree, you'll find a link to Saving Lives in Slow Motion, which is my podcast. It's bite sized episodes, 10, 15 minutes on all sorts of topics that make us human. So, you know, imposter syndrome, grief, mm. these are the, th you know, these are the things that make people present with a symptom, whether they've got depression or anxiety. And I sort of drill down a little bit on the nuances of that. So yeah, 
hopefully you'll you'll find that useful too amazing and i know you said that you weren't really on social media much but um where can people find you if they yeah the (laughs) the usual ones i'm less and less on twitter actually but is it even called that now x sorry yeah sorry sorry yeah yeah, instagram and i've got a facebook page and linkedin which i've I've kind of i sort of yeah took myself off that years ago and now i'm back on there so yeah yeah well thank you so much for your time today it's been an absolute pleasure oh it's great so thanks for having me really enjoyed it thank you thanks thank you for listening to unquestionable we'd love to hear from you on social media by searching for unquestionable podcast don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts